This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We are here to react to Manchester United beating Aston Villa in that crucial game on Sunday. I'm joined by Carl Anker and Laurie Whitwell. We are hoping to speak to Andy Mitten as well. We'll hear from him on the podcast, I can guarantee that. But he is actually currently trying to negotiate his way through security at New Delhi Airport on his way back from his Indian tour. So... Your guess is as good as mine at this point. Only Andy, Carl, could do this. Only Andy. I was uh, moderating the match day chat on the app on Sunday. Uh, and quite a few were going, what is Andy Mitten's life? How is he able to do such <laughs> such things? I'm like, great man. Great man and a wonderful storyteller. I'm just shocked he's still married, Laurie, aren't you? Well, this is it. A forgiving family was what I was going to say there, Carl. How is he able to do this? Uh <laughs> Because it's, what is it like, just 20 past seven that we're doing this in the hope that Andy can join us because we're obviously having to fit around Andy's Indian adventure, which is absolutely the right thing to do. But hopefully this <laughs> early morning start isn't all in vain. Hopefully, yeah. Right. We're going to do the match now then. We're going to do the match reaction, uh, give Andy a little bit more time to maybe join us. Uh, he has sent us a voice note, so I can guarantee you that later on in the pod. And he's also sent us a message from someone in particular too, which... I'd be able to guess who that is, but I'll leave you in suspense for the moment. But Laurie, you were at Villa Park. That was a really important win. Massive win. I mean, you, when you just boil it down to the numbers, you know, they're five points behind Aston Villa in fifth place, which, you know, we've debated about whether that's going to be enough for Champions League or not. Let's let's claim it is for the time being. Put the uh, sort of sentiment, than, emotion issues to one side and just focus on the fact that... I said, I'm yeah. going straight down to the uh, yeah. the hard tack right, right away, the numbers. Don't worry about what needs to happen. Just Okay, yeah. right. So United, rather than being 11 points behind with a defeat, Aston Villa, like Man City got, like Arsenal got. You know, it's obviously a difficult place to go. I know that they've had a little bit of a slide recently. That game against Chelsea um, was a kind of indicator that perhaps they're not hitting the, the peaks that they have done earlier this season. But nonetheless, I actually thought it was a really good performance from Villa. The kind of performance that enabled them to get that victory against Man City, in particular, the kind of swarming nature in midfield, um, the cutbacks that, you know, 
a number of chances that, yeah, United rode their luck. Andre Nana, I thought, played well overall, although it was kind of like a, a bit of a, a mix um, in terms of a what he coaster. was producing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but so I think that United showed real, real grit and determination. You know, you could see early on that they were kind of giving each other the, the high fives at blocks and, and different things. I think Dogo Dalot's first contribution was a high you know, five chasing back <laughs> well it was a high five but before that it was a justifiable uh, moment that you know triggered the high five which was a, an incredible kind of chase and then and then tackle on Jacob Ramsey I think it was which was very similar to his block on Jared Bowen really um, you know that kind of coming from nowhere to make an intervention so it was that kind of performance from United bodies on the line you know kind of pulling together which is you know at times earlier this season we've felt that it's been fraying and that hasn't yeah, been there yeah. but this was kind of a return to what gave them that sequence of good results last season when they are you know all in as one and obviously you've got this incredible factor off the bench the Scott McTominay issue yeah we'll talk about Scott a little bit more in a moment because your article on The Athletic revolves around a quite remarkable start about how many points he's earned Manchester United this season in the Premier League Carlo Rasmus Hoyland again five in a row now in the Premier League is the second youngest player ever to do that behind Nicola and Elka, uh, who did it at 19 for Arsenal. But it's more the fact that there's just a cutting edge to United. They were clinical yesterday and in the first, what, 10, 15 minutes, they started the game well again. Yeah, really, really started the game well. Clearly had a game plan. Harry Maguire was dominating camera on set pieces. You're going, oh, this is it. Keep an eye on this. United probably can get a goal here. Goal comes from Maguire getting the flick on and Hoyland's just fastest to react has the ability to stay on side, which was one thing we talked about previously about this Aston Villa Highland. I think it was three offsides in the first 15 minutes against Villa. And I was just like, we get it. We get it. Calm down. Yeah, The chances will come. So the game plan was good up until that first goal. And then you could see the old jitters came through as United gradually began to lose a little bit of control. Um, Laurie's completely correct. You know, Dallow was good again, continued this decent run of form. He's in. I think he should be the starting right back for as long as possible. I'm saying this and I've just re- remembered Luke Shaw is maybe injured as a precaution. So you might have to sh- switch him over to the left-hand side. But I think Dallow is now beginning to take the next step and being a proper starting quality fullback, which is good. It was encouraging. Scrappy. Didn't really think United were going to win it until McTominay got that thumping header, but we'll take it. Yeah, I'm a bit Roy Keane about the high fives, but there's no doubt that he is progressing now, Diogo Delo Laurie. I mean, Gary Neville spoke at length about him in the post-match on, on Sky Sports yesterday as well. And that coming from that particular right-back for United is a very important piece of praise. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, a bit Roy Keane, I thought, is your beard going a bit Roy Keane there, Ian, as well? <laughs> I just meant do your job, you're there to defend, so just yeah. don't congratulate Stop yourself high-fiving. when you tackle. So, well, you know when we like, you know, hug each other after a really good podcast, are you like fuming inside? Yeah, just get on with it and go on. Yeah, okay. come on. We've Good, done our right. job. Okay, sorry. By the way, when have you ever hugged me after doing a podcast? I, I've never done that. You just walk and, uh, off. Yeah. Normally. Yeah. I have to just like chase you out before security throws well, out I've of all traffic. I've done my job. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no, this is all for the uh, the show, isn't it? This this camaraderie. Absolutely. behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> um, get on with it Diogo Dello. Sorry. Get on with it. It was a really good cross, wasn't it? I mean, I, I was just watching yeah. um, Match of the Day 2, actually, and Stephen Warnock said he's one of the best crossers in the league, which I think, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how many matches he's watched of Diogo Dallo. We're all shaking our heads, too. 
Yeah, I mean, no. Uh, he did put a really good one in the first half, to be fair, that Hoyland maybe was a little bit on his uh, heels for. But yeah, I think he's definitely improved in that aspect of his game. I mean, it was a, a superb cross, first time. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that Gary Neville used to do. David Beckham used to do. Okay, I'm not getting too excited, but All right, that, you know, first time cross. <laughs> <laughs> and it was teed up really nicely, wasn't it, by Maynou's uh, sharp feet. I'm not sure he's, he meant to kind of pass it to him in that moment, but it, w- it was actually a, a sort of nice move altogether. All it was from a, a throw-in, Bruno Fernandes to Maguire, and, and then, you know, Mayanu makes a run and gets found. And, you know, it, it did actually, it wasn't just a kind of freak occurrence that all of a sudden McTominay is in space in the box. You had, I mean, that's the idea, isn't it, with Ten Hag? It's 20 minutes left of the game. You know that McTominay can finish in these really clutch moments. And, you know, they had Hoyland and, and McTominay occupying the two central defenders for Villa, which is something they hadn't had to do prior to that. Uh, point too much um, and even Garnacho was actually free at the far post so if it had gone a bit deeper he might have managed to um, gobble it up but um, no really good cross and I, I just yeah he's, he's he's certainly I mean he's doing the defensive work well isn't he and it was a really tricky one for him and Garnacho particularly in that first half with yeah. the way that Villa were attacking down the left because it, it felt like I was trying to figure out I was like they are playing well because Garnacho was tracking his man a lot and I was like they are playing well but also Villa are getting a lot of success down this left so where do you sort of find the balance of, of you know who's doing well who's doing bad I think that one is the next step for Dalo I was talking to Jacob who covers Villa and he said this is rotation Villa do all the time you know Ramsey cut, you know, moves inside to create the box midfield Moreno overlaps and they kept doing it again and again and again and we've all played five aside we've all played six seven or eight aside and if, if they keep running the same thing and you're the defender you tend to have a word with the guy ahead of you saying look this is what they're going to do I need you to do this I don't mind what the manager or your technique is. Do this and make my life a bit easier. And Diogo needs to get, you know, a bit less high fives and a bit more Roy Keane of do your job, which is do this. And I think that'll be the next step for him. So do you think he should have said to, was it Mainu on that side to kind of come across more or... or because, I mean, there was a moment that the one there where where Watkins gets in is actually because Varane's kind of caught in two minds to, yeah, to drop, mm-hmm. to come forward or drop. And then it's actually Dallow that you know, kind of gets back and kind of puts a bit of pressure on Watkins. So he sort of does all right there. But it, yeah, it, I think just the system that Villa had, it did need maybe in certain moments more attentiveness from United. It was between the four of them because there were so many Villa players involved that it actually impacted the entire right-hand side. So you can go between Verandalo, Menu, and Garnacho as to who should deal with it and who should do something differently because it, it, it was a very clever piece of movement. But Carl, yeah, you wouldn't expect them to get joy out of it multiple times like they did. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is this is what Villa do. They are tactically astute. They, they have certain things and rotations that they know work and they're going to do it over and over again. And hopefully you bend rather than break. I think they also exploited some space behind Kobe like Mo- Robbie. Why have I done that? <laughs> They've also expo- exploited some space behind Maynou as well because Casemiro just looked a bit rusty. He's not quite there yet, is he? O- on the ball, maybe a little bit more. Um, and he picked up his yellow card, Larry, as you'd expect. I mean, it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a day without that. But what <laughs> but a yellow this was a lucky one. It wasn't. He didn't touch him really, did he? I mean, he sort of goes. Did he not it, touch him? He I didn't mean, touch I, him. He, he should have made it clear, Casemiro, did. that he didn't. <laughs> I think he's still running around in circles uh, just near the halfway line at Villa Park. That was all very pantomime, wasn't it? That it was. It was I thought it was a replay actually. when they were showing it of the first bit of him remonstrating. But, oh no, he's still going. He's still going. I really like the bit where he very clearly like he wagged his finger 
and then realised if he wags his finger, that counts as the scent. So he, he sort of changed the gesture with his hand three or four <laughs> times to be really sure that it doesn't count as the scent because he didn't want to get another a red card. And I went, yeah, fair enough. I think it's a bit of a giveaway as well to all those other times where he's protested, but he really knows that it was a booking. <laughs> so like yeah. he hasn't really gone the full way. <laughs> He's now undone half a season's work of protesting against bookings. Yeah. Um, Referees are just going to go, well, he's, he's not lasted for you know mm. a minute now, so it's de- yeah, I'm justified in giving him this bucket. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Manchester United still the lead! Scott McTominay bounces off the bench and makes the difference again! And what a difference that might be! Let's talk about McTominay then. Your piece on The Athletic, Laurie, if people want to go and read it, but I'm going to spoil it by revealing the stat that's at the heart of it. Scott McTominay's been worth 12 points to Manchester United so far this season with his goals, and that's more than any player in the Premier League. Yeah, it's... Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's one of those where, you, you know, you just sort of think after the game, you think every single one of his goals has sort of meant something. And so therefore that obviously then triggers the idea that, it, you know, the point per goal is quite uh, is going to be something. And I just thought, I wonder if it's the most in the league. I stopped it. And then, yeah, uh, he, he leads the way. So seven goals... Uh, and United have won 12 points as a direct result of those goals. And I know, obviously, it's always like this kind of hypothetical situation, isn't it? Like, well, OK, if he doesn't score, well, maybe somebody else would, and you can't really attach all the positivity to his uh, influence. But actually, when you look back on it, yeah, you can. Like, I mean, yeah. Brentford, for sure you can. You know, it Especially was when you're nil. subbing on for these moments as well. Exactly, exactly. It's such a specified role that he's got now under Ten Hag. In, in these moments, yeah, he's, he's, started game, he's only started 12 Premier League games this season. He's come off the bench nine times obviously at Wolves he did it first touch I think it was that he scores with his head yeah, it was Chelsea that was one of his starts but both of those goals was a 2-1 win Sheffield United that was another start it's got the opening goal but it was a 2-1 win so all these kind of moments are and I suppose that's a consequence of United not winning matches by more than one goal very often goal differences um, but- <laughs> back to zero Laurie <laughs> I know Andy must be wherever he is in India he's probably right partying now, he actually about that he's not, he's not trying to get through the airport security at all he's staying there well, has anyone else seen Andy's attire? He looks a bit like a school child in what he's wearing. Why? He looks really young. He's, I know he's 50, but he like all of a sudden became this kind of high school student to me. He's an abbot that's a door role, and he's taking things seriously, and he's in his formal attire. That's, <laughs> yeah. I think that's what he's going for. Let's go with yours then, Carl, because Laurie thought he looked like a school child, and I thought he looked like a school teacher. So <laughs> um, maybe calling him an ambassador 
A Manchester United ambassador. There we go. Uh, in India is probably a kinder way to do it. In terms of McTominay, though, Carl, I'm sure he always had an ability to do this, but for it to become so specific and so successful for him, it was a couple of minutes against Leeds once, and then Scotland at the start of the qualification for the Euros that he seemed to have unlocked this ability. But he does it every week now, almost, it feels like. It's really, really remarkable. I mean, after he scored... I think two goals in qualifying for Scotland early in the season. I wrote a piece outlining why doing such a role for Manchester United wouldn't really work. I said, you know, the level of opposition he's playing against for Scotland is a lot lower than the Premier League. And while McTominay can get goals, I don't think he's capable of scoring goals at the clip needed for a team such as United. And here he is, scored seven goals in the Premier League, more than any other United player. 12 points won this season. So uh, I'm eating humble pie. No United player scored more goals in the league. And I think you could make the argument no United player has as much attacking freedom as Scott McTominay right now as well. Yeah. It's, you know, don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Just wait for Rasmus and or another player to occupy the other centre-backs and then find the space in the box and be authoritative. You know, he can do that. That was a thumping header. I completely did not see that coming. Do you think it is the freedom... Laurie, that's the difference then, because I, I did sort of joke about it a minute ago, but I, I remember that game so clearly during COVID at home against Leeds, where he scored those two goals early on, and it was about Leeds man marking, and he was running off Calvin Phillips. But he's so effective at it that it seems bizarre that this hasn't been seen and utilised earlier, because he, he was always a holding midfielder, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it felt like it was... The circumstance, though, in that that, that was his role because he was always coming through the academy, you know, a number ten, really, right. um, you know, a more attacking player. I mean, it seems that all these players that are kind of number sixes always were attacking players coming through, and we might get onto another one in the current United team uh, in another podcast. But um, yeah, so, so he's always had this ability, and also his stature, I think, helps, doesn't it? You know, six foot four, he's imposing in the air. At set pieces, that he's going to be a bit of a threat. Um, but I mean, six touches in the game yesterday, and obviously one of them was a goal, one shot. You know, it's this kind of distilled McTominayism that is uh, g- giving Ten Hag some hope in the season. Um, and I was surprised, I have to say, that Marcus Rashford was the one coming off. I mean, me you might, too. you might just dis- okay, you, you actually agree with me. I thought people, yeah. some people sort of disputed this with that when I posted it, but I thought he just looked really good running at Matty Cash, like more purposeful. He'd got him on a booking, and there was actually a moment after he booked him when he did have another chance to attack and he didn't quite go for it he kind of yeah he, 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 he chose to pass it but I thought okay keep going in that route and he'll get sent off here um so I was surprised that he was the one that came off Ganacho I suppose was running with the ball also quite well and, and having shots but probably should have passed it a couple of times maybe but then he brings him on and I actually thought again that he was sort of taking up similar positions to Hoyland there was there was one moment they're right in front of us in the press box at Villa where they both dropped they're like literally five yards apart from each other both dropped and then they both sort of made a dart to run and they're both like kind of looking at each other almost like oh wait I was going to do that sorry kind of they do do this quite often again I know you can't do the the perfect who else would have scored these goals I think the Chelsea game in particular Hoyland probably would have got at least one of the goals that McTominay scored because they they do occupy such similar things but also I think that's to their benefit well it's the McTominay's benefit 
because Hoyland is the main threat and the defences are going to be locked in on what he's doing. And sometimes you can be so yeah, true. so focused on what Hoyland's doing that McTominay finds an extra bit of space. Well, are they going to start changing now that they know that McTominay's <laughs> goals are worth 12 <laughs> points? Could be good news for rock and roll, Rasmus. That's it. He, could, he could then benefit. I mean, just to complete that table, so you've got like Son Heung-min, 12 goals, 10 points won. Dominic Solanke, 13 goals, 9 points won. Erling Haaland, 16 goals, 8 points won. And then Salah, Saka, uh, Richarlison are all 8 points won for, for different amount of goals, but all m- way more than McTominay. It's hilarious. It's like it- who's who of attacking talent in the Premier League. <laughs> Fantastic example of working smarter, not harder. Because this is all McTominay now offers. He He's not involved in build-up in midfield. And we talk about why he's only been able to do this this season. And that's because for so much of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's time, for so much of... You had the Ralph Ragnick bit and, and Ten Hag's first season, your central midfielders needed to do more. You needed to offer some form of passing play, some form of uh, more adept defensive positioning. But now the squad is a little bit better in these areas. You've got Casemiro, who is a better defensive midfielder than Fred. You've got Maynou, who is a better passer from deeper areas than... It feels an upgrade on Ericsson, who was used in that that particular role for much of last season. Yeah. It, it, even if it's just you know the physical output paired with the technical ability. So there is a greater opportunity for McTominay to focus on the thing he's really good at, which is late arrivals into the penalty area when the defenders are looking at everyone else. I don't think he should be turned into a striker. I don't think he should be the number 10. We get questions on that every week, don't we? We do. About I don't, McTominay being a striker. I don't think he should be a striker because if he's the main threat, everyone will lock him down. I don't think he should be the number 10 because he's not got the passing range of, of Bruno Fernandes or, or any other players at United. But... Last 20 minutes, you need a goal. I think it's okay. I mean, I did make a noise when he came on and I saw Bruno Fernandes shift to the right, but he shut me up, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> there's a point to make on all this as well that Tenag touched on after the game. I thought it was a really nice quote um, and you could tell that he, it's one of these ones that he's been thinking about maybe because he sort of said it a couple of times. To, we can to, beat anyone. Was uh, that not one? that one. No. We, we can come on to that maybe uh, in the second half Perhaps we need to. of the podcast. Um, Could have won at Liverpool. And Arsenal. Um, he said that uh, McTominay is an example for many other players these days. He's ready to bring this energy. He's always giving this spirit in the week when he is training as an opposition member, which is quite an important part. Now, if you remember, Jaden Sancho, for example, didn't do that aspect of his uh, requirements before the Arsenal game to Ten Hag's uh, desires. And, and that that's then caused this whole rupture there. Uh, working on himself, he's ready for one minute, ready for ninety minutes. Great to have such a player. So he's not. So basically, what Tanag seems to me saying, he's not one of these guys that's got such an ego that thinks I should be starting. I've scored seven goals that have you know got United twelve points. I think he probably appreciates that these have been very specific circumstances that he's managed to have these chances and score these goals. Um, but then, nonetheless, he, he, can, he can he could start. You know, if, if I want him to. But equally, he's very happy, as Carl said, to make us make some kind of weird noises when he comes off the bench <laughs> and then do the business. And I thought his celebration was great as well. You know, going over to that away section, it's, it's a brilliant away section, isn't it, at Villa Park? And you just see all these kind of limbs flying all over the place. Apparently his dad was in the uh, away section, McTominay's dad. But, yeah, so so one of those kind of enjoyable moments, I think. And, and after the game, it, it felt such a momentous win. Again, I know it's only to try and get into the Champions League places maybe eventually. Get fifth. You know, it's not where yeah. United ultimately want to be. But you're allowed to savour these kind of late yeah. wins against a team that's really difficult to play against where they've had success against other big clubs. You know, Hoyland, Varane, 
Bruno Fernandes all gave their shirts away to, to fans in the away section. So that, that's what that kind of McTominay moment gives you. It's Villa Park, isn't it? You know, it's Manchester United and Villa Park. It's another chapter uh, to, well, what is a glorious history there, to be honest. I know the last couple of years have been a little bit forgettable there, but down the years, there's been some incredible moments. And the incredible moment this time was Eric Ten Hag sitting in his press conference, Carl, and telling everyone that Manchester United can beat anyone after his first ever victory away from home against the top nine side in the Premier League, which, um, yeah. He's feeling himself now, isn't he? (laughs) I think that's a sign that he feels he's onto something. He's getting a lot more things off his chest in his press conferences. So after West Ham, he said, you didn't believe in us. Yeah. And now he said this, so... I mean, in, in Ten Hag's mind, he's he's been vindicated after spending so long saying, wait until all these players are fit and then you can judge us. Yeah. And and now he's dealt with the the difficulty of losing the Sandro Martinez uh, and he will have to n- negotiate or navigate the difficulty of whatever's going on with Luke Shaw. In, in what you said, Laurie, you know, I think Marcus Rashford had a good first half going past Mighty Cash and Luke Shaw was there in the connection. But when Victor Lindelof came on at left back, Rashford definitely took a downturn. Um well, there was that awkward moment, wasn't there, where it leads to the Watkins chance where it's like a point-blank save where, I mean, it was a weird... We had a few of these with Onan of goal kicks, but he basically ended up giving it to Lindelof on you know left-back position and Rashford went long and Lindelof went short and Cash just had like yep. 20 yards. He read it well. And yeah, so that understanding, as you say, there just wasn't there. Yeah, Tenag will have to sort that out and I'm not sure who the best player to play at left-back for next week is. We still don't know too much about the status of Terrell Malassia but yeah if Ten Hag thinks when everyone is fit United can beat anyone he almost has the body of work to make that argument I definitely don't think he can beat everyone away from home but at home he's beating Arsenal he's beating City he's beating Liverpool he's beating Chelsea yeah yeah go on Barcelona yeah go on Brentford you could Actually, Laurie, what did Tenag say after the game on, on Luke Shaw's fitness status? Yeah, it was interesting. He basically said it was a precaution, but then he added on to it to say that Shaw had given some complaints at half-time and then you know we know his history with injuries. We couldn't go with that risk. He said we knew it was a very important game against Villa, but we couldn't miss him for six weeks, which kind of implies to me that it's you know a hamstring yeah. issue of some sort. You know, He had a false start, didn't he, when he came back uh, from the injury that kept him out for like three months earlier this season. Um, he played a lot of games actually in that time sort of six games in, in a short space of time and then it, it, he sort of felt it again against Bayern Munich but he came back didn't he after that it wasn't like he then got injured so he's they're obviously managing him um, clearly attuned to the fact that if he does properly injure it then he is out for a decent length of time and, and that's what Ten Hag's referring to there so I guess in that situation you'd always rather err on the side of caution you know they were one up at that point so can we just you know grind it out um ultimately they need, did need another goal but I, I can see totally the logic of, of taking Shaw off even in a precaution situation yeah we're talking about being surprised that United sub with it being Rashford who was coming off I was absolutely shocked to my core that Unai Emery took off Leon Bailey because Victor Lindelof must have been doing cartwheels when he saw that number go up uh, that was really quite remarkable Emery was asked by Sky Sports about that substitution afterwards and he gave a sort of non-answer and Roy Keane gave him the benefit of doubt. He said he really dislikes it when when managers are asked about their substitutions because you should just take, oh, wait, it's my decision. So you, you feel, yeah, Roy Keane was having memories of his time at Ipswich and Sunderland there. 
when he made bad substitutions and didn't want to be asked about them. You said that, not me. <laughs> if Roy Keane is listening to this podcast, I did not say that. Um, the left-back situation is concerning and I, I will probably now spend a bit more time trying to watch Benfica games if Fernandes starts pulling up any trees just to see how that situation evolves. I think there will be big questions this week towards Den Haag about the injury status of Malaysia because I'm pulling the face. Where is he? This knee injury seems really, really, really bad. I At this point in time, Ian, would you move over Dallo to left-back and have one Basaka at right-back? I think that has to be first choice in Luke Shaw's absence, doesn't it? I mean, there's been Amrabat at left-back, there's been Lindelof at left-back, but yeah. See Sergio Regulon got an assist for Brentford? Yeah. <laughs> Good corner. Come back, the Sergio, weekend. all is forgiven. You know that bit we said about being all right in the second half of the season? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it probably is Wan Bissaka right back, and but then again, where's Wan Bissaka, Laurie? Yeah, good question. He's one of these ones that you sort of almost forget to ask about sometimes, just because he he kind of comes in and out of the team, and and Tanar goes through his injuries, and and you're sort of thinking, okay, yeah, Rashford, that's a big one, sure, that's a big one. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know, I have to say. No, oh, okay, we'll keep an eye on that situation. Just before we finish the Aston Villa section, then we need to give Harry Maguire his flowers, as you would say, Carl, don't we? I mean. Man of the match, I think he was given by by Neville. He was just Maguire again, wasn't he? I mean, you know, Eric Ten Hag spoke about giving him the start in the last Premier League match because he'd been so good in that period, sort of November time, and he just seems to have picked up where he left off, actually. Yeah, yeah. Ten Hag mentioned that this combination of, of Maguire left centre-back and Rafael Varane right centre-back worked because you had Luke Shaw on the left. And, and it, was, it was the Maguire that's was so good in that 2019-2020 season and 2021. Just kept things simple, you know, meat and potatoes, defending stuff, makes your tackles in front of you, doesn't get to, you know, if he has to turn around, he makes sure he times that tackle well um, and was really good in both boxes when it came to set pieces. I don't know what United plan to do with Harry Maguire next season, but yeah. if Maguire is happy with this third-ish choice centre-back role, and, you know, United can keep getting some more left-footers in the team. Long way to continue. Do you think he's getting some of his authority back as well, Laurie? Because no question, you know, being stripped of the captaincy, also the issues, is, you know, he seemed to have with Cristiano Ronaldo and some of the stuff around that when he was at United. Uh, but then the last few matches when he has played, you see him again giving out the instructions. He's never shied away from that, in fairness to him. He's, he's always put himself forward and... You know, he's always available as well, isn't he, when he's fit? I think he's played through quite a lot of injuries and issues yeah. during his time at United as well, which is commendable. But I wonder if he's sort of rebuilding that authority that he had in the team before the issues I've just mentioned. I think so, just because, I mean, when you're playing well, that gives you natural authority, doesn't it? Where you might feel a little bit um, cheeky, sort of calling people out if you're not doing well yourself. So. Yeah now that you're actually making a difference in a really positive way. I mean, yeah, as Carl's touched on, the set pieces was a big thing. He actually could have got a penalty if he'd made more of it with Kamara in the second half. Kamara's had his shirt all over him, but then I did notice that did, did Lindelof have a load of Carlos's shirt? Was it? Was They're all having around? a big yeah. scrap a, in there. There was a lot of shit, <laughs> but it, it was one of those where it, like, it felt so, he was holding it for ages and you're like, he's literally almost got his off his head, but anyway. Um, but then as you say, it was more the, the blocks. I mean, there was a really good block in the first half where he kind of, he has to adjust his body to do it um obviously there's the classic sight of him on the on the floor kind of having just you know wiped out people with his head and he's kind of just sort of, you know shaking the cobwebs off um so i, I don't know I, yeah I, I was really 
pleased again with his performance just because it was the it was that kind of night at Villa where you could easily have succumbed to the kind of overwhelming you know uh, consistency of Villa's carousel in attack and um and and you know that that would have then you know you, you, a wilting didn't happen basically and I think Maguire was um a large part of that okay well we're still waiting for Andy Mitten there's still no sign of him at the moment um, but we can bring you some reaction to that Aston Villa game from Andy's mate Ollie, Scott's just scored a winner. Yep. You absolutely love Scott McTominay. How are you feeling about that? Of course, I'm, I'm, he's justified my words this weekend for you. You've been raving about him all weekend, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, so that's what he does. Scott always gives 100% for the club and he represents Man United himself and his family in the best possible way. So, well done, Scott. Big win at United. It's a big, big three points. Absolutely massive. Have you had a good time in India? Oh, yeah. Apart from that, journalist always bothering me. You, um... See you later. <laughs> Have a safe trip back. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody. It's Andy here in New Delhi, the capital of India. I've been travelling around for a couple of days with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. He's been speaking to United fans in Bangalore, in Mumbai and in Delhi. And he's had an incredible reception. Hundreds of fans have been meeting him at the various airports and then attending him for an interview at night time where he's really candid, he's really open, um, pretty relaxed. And he, he just said to me on Saturday as he prepared to get into the lift, having been serenaded by loads of um, fans in Mumbai, he said, it's nice to do things like this sometimes. It makes you realise that I didn't have a bad career. I mean, talk about understatement. So after he'd done his final interview, I watched the United Villa game with him in a hotel in Delhi. It was, I, I love watching football games with professionals, former professionals, managers, because they just see things that, that you don't see. And I watched the first half with Ollie, and then he had to make some calls, partly because it's Mother's Day in, in Norway and partly because he had to leave to fly back. I My flight was a little bit later. I'm about to go to the airport now. And he was saying that Harry wins the, the headers first time all the time. He said, just watch him, watch him, watch him. And then he saw Harry have a word with the referee after Casemiro had been booked. He said, that's what a good captain does. He said, he's basically getting in the referee's head that you can't book uh, Casimiro a second time because the first booking was was a real soft one. He was also very praiseworthy of Bruno Fernandes. Yep, I get it, he signed him. But he was praiseworthy of Luke Shaw as well. And he talks like a United fan because he is a fan and he's ready to work again and to be a manager again. He's had loads and loads of offers. He really has. But it's about taking the right one for him. Um, when Rasmus scored, I obviously said that's because, you know, he's Danish. You'd never find a Norwegian striker scoring a goal like that, which he obviously found extremely funny when he wasn't giving me um, giving me stick. Like when he was on the stage, he was talking about how the media can turn against you, like it did at a time when he was Manchester United manager. And as he said it, he looked towards me and pointed, cheers, Ollie. <laughs> I, was, I thought I was very supportive of him when he was um, United manager, but 
He's, uh, he's been in a, in a decent mood. And a better one, when Scott McTominay, who he absolutely loves, he's a player who he keeps in touch with because his, his kids really like Scott as well, uh, came on and scored the winner. And what a winner. Um, he was very praiseworthy of Diogo Dalo uh, in, in terms of improving defensively, and that cross was, was superb. So I, um, you know, we spoke about the Villa game before the last podcast. And I think we were all pretty confident, weren't we? We felt that Villa had dipped a little bit and United were coming into something and if it was going to be substantial, then um, we needed to win at Villa and a draw wouldn't be good enough. Actually, truthfully, after 70 minutes, I would have taken a draw because there were times in that game when Villa was so on top. But those winners are, are what we, we live for and I would have loved to have been at Villa Parks, one of my favourite away games away grounds at least usually and just looking at that United end and my mates were sending me um, photos and videos and they were all singing on the coach back to Manchester Eric Tenag, Eric Tenag to the tune of um, what is it Simple Minds yeah don't you forget about me by Simple Minds so Eric's clearly having a, a few smiles at the moment after a really really rough December and rough most of the season if we're honest but a winning run is has started and one of my editors said to me last week okay don't get carried away let's see how you can do against Aston Villa but Manchester United have beaten Aston Villa there's still a gap but when the team's on a run and teams above are starting to falter a little bit it's encouraging this team ain't winning the league <laughs> by any stretch but the idea of a top four finish doesn't seem quite as fanciful as it did only a week or two ago. To go to Wolves away and win was really good. To put three past West Ham, for, you know, this United team doesn't score many goals and only reached zero goal difference at the weekend against Villa was very encouraging. To go to Villa, well, you know how this team have struggled to do well away from home, especially against teams in the top half of the table. Aston Villa are absolutely worthy of being in the top half of the table. They've beaten Manchester City this year. They had some great results in December and they've got a fantastic manager. So I'm feeling all right today. I've got a long, long flight back now. Um, but I've had a really good time in India. So many people came up to me and said they listened to this podcast from India. They knew everything about everything. One lad brought me some Maltesers, which I loved. Uh, the lads from Pune brought me some typical dress and, and headgear from, from Pune. So Manchester United are massively popular in India. And it seems that Talk of the Devils is really popular here as well. And they were giving me messages for, for, for Ian, um, for, for Carl, and for Laurie, so that was all really nice because sometimes when we do this podcast, you're, you're by yourself, you're, you're locked away in a room and writing is a very solitary experience as well. But to come face to face with so many people, nah, that was good. I'm smiling, I'm smiling because of the love we've had from India, because of the smiles I've seen on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's face um, this weekend and the promoter Till acted really well, bringing him over and you know, filling big, big venues in big Indian hotels. And I'm smiling because Manchester United beat Aston Villa away. Bring it on.
And we're smiling listening to you, Andy, as well. Um, he's still not with us. He's still trying to negotiate his way through the airport, I presume. It feels like we're not going to get him on this podcast, but at least we've heard from him. And what a what a voice note, Laurie. There's a lot of Andy Mitten in there, isn't there? Well, I was going to say, I can't believe he shafted us for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Oh, yeah. But then, I mean, his, his voice note was long enough to... I think, has he already spoken more than all of us put together on this podcast with that voice note? <laughs> Um, but I love the way his mind works and sort of meanders through these different topics and then obviously finishing on that high point because he's right, you know, whenever we are out and about, it's amazing to see the people that come and say hello. Um, I did it in Stockport actually the other night. Um, at not quite Mumbai, Boone, but yeah. DJing. Not quite Mumbai, but yeah, closer to home. Uh, and somebody come up and said, oh, yeah, listen to the podcast, really enjoy it. So we do massively appreciate it to everyone that listens and then comes and says hello to yeah, definitely. Thank you to every single one of you. And he, and he can remember Simple Minds tracks to the drop of a hat as well, Carl, which is good to know about Andy. We finally got him singing again on this podcast. All it took <laughs> was for him to go to a, another country and not be looking at any of us while he hums the tune. Yeah, it's a good song as well, actually. I was, I'd listened to the video uh, that was, I think, Andy posted on Twitter of the fans on the bus on the way back from Aston Villa. In fact, Ollie, producer Ollie, maybe you can play it in here for us so people at home can get a sense of what that song actually sounded like. Yeah, quite catchy that, actually. I can see that one catching on, and at least Andy didn't need to... Sing it in a yellow jumper to try and uh, get the masses on board with that one as well. We actually had an email regarding Andy's trip to India, which I think is is really lovely, and, I, and I'd like to share it with you if that's all right. It was from Dev in Mumbai. Um, he said it's been one of the best days of his life where he felt closest to the football club that I love, meaning Manchester United. Uh, he was welcoming Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the airport. He got his autograph, had a photo with him as well. And he also attended the event that Andy was talking about on it, um, where he got to talk to Andy and discuss some of the articles that he's written uh, and even got a signed copy of United We Stand. He then said, over dinner, I managed to pick Andy's brain over what clubs like United could do to make fans in India feel more involved. I learned that United were planning to come to India in the summer of 2020 before COVID. Meeting Ollie was an absolute honour. However, having been an avid Talk of the Devils listener since the beginning, talking to Andy was definitely the highlight of the evening. Incredible. Wow. Wow, Dev. Yeah. Wow. No. No. <laughs> no, mate. I can't believe Andy signed, he's given us a signed autograph as the Andy. Yeah, signed fanzine, it sounds like. Wow. I presume it was Andy who signed it and not Solskjaer. But, Dev, I mean, Andy's great, but I think maybe meeting the former Manchester United manager and the player who scored the goal that won the treble uh, for the club as well is probably a little bit better, but each to their own, I suppose. Right, we're going to leave it there, but thank you so much for being with us and listening. Uh, We'll try and bring you an update on Andy's situation at some point, maybe on social media or something like that. But Carl and Laurie... Thank you for getting up at this ungodly hour for absolutely no reason. Um, But it's been great to do the podcast with you. So thank you, everyone. Um, We'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.